I don't know if you've ever been in the kind of circumstance like this, but when you're in a circumstance where you're introducing yourself to people and they may or may not know you or it's a certain kind of context, there's a way that you introduce yourself. There's kind of things that you include in that introduction. There are things you don't include in that introduction. When you first introduce yourself to a group of people, for example, there are definitely things that you include and there are things that you exclude based on the context, based on the circumstances. If I were a guest preacher this morning, and many of you don't know me because you've seen me for the first time today, but if I were a guest preacher this morning and you didn't know me, it would be appropriate for somebody to stand up here and say, hey, this is uh, Scott Wakefield. He's been in ministry for 18 years in churches in Ohio and Illinois, and for the last 12, he's been a first Christian church in Greenville, Tennessee, and uh, he went to college at you know, Wheaton in, in Illinois, and, and then he did his graduate work uh, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Emmanuel Seminary in Johnson City, and even though he has 90 semester hours of graduate theological education, he doesn't quite have his MDiv, which is super frustrating. But anyway, <laughs> that would be a detail that you don't need to know, wouldn't it? Like the fact that I'm frustrated about the fact that I have 90 graduate hours of theological education and don't quite have a plaque on my wall that says master's. Well, it wouldn't make sense to include that, would it? And you're all sitting there going, why did he include that? It doesn't matter. Aha, (laughs) now you catch where I'm headed. You include things or you exclude things based on the circumstances, based on the people and what they need to hear, based on what you're trying to communicate to them. If I were to include details like, I was also voted best legs in high school, you'd think, who cares? (laughs) It is nonetheless true, sadly. But who cares? It doesn't matter. You don't need to know that for me to stand up here and and, and to to, to preach. It just doesn't matter. Tree trunks is what some of them called me, actually. So Paul does the same kind of thing here in uh, the beginning of Philippians. He does the same kind of thing about his introduction of himself to the Philippian readers, the people to whom he was writing. Look at his greeting in verses 1 and 2. He includes certain things and he excludes others on purpose to tell about where he's headed with what he's writing. Look at uh, verses 1 and 2 there at the beginning of Philippians. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Circle the word servant, highlight servants, underline servants. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul introduces himself here as a servant. Most modern Bible translations have the word servant. Some of them have uh, slaves. Some of them say bond servants. Those are kind of the old school ways of describing that Paul is sort of handing them a business card at the beginning and saying my credentials for writing what I'm about to tell you because listen up I'm going to tell you some things that are about your circumstances Philippians so I'm going to hand you this sort of business card that says Paul slave of Christ so I'm, I'm telling you what qualifies me to tell you what I'm about to tell you so he includes that detail, and, and at the beginning of most of Paul's letters, he'll say, Paul, an apostle, da-da-da, called by God. He, at the beginning of Galatians, in fact, he says, he's an apostle called by God, not by men, because he's about to say to the Galatians some things that they don't really want to hear. And so he says, 
I was called by God to say this. My credential is something I'm including here. So in similar ways here in Philippians, he gives his credential, and it's just, just the word servants. It's just the word servants, slaves. He's saying my credentials to writing you are that I am a servant, I'm a slave of Christ. This is Paul pointing out both the circumstance from which he is writing and the reason for which he is writing. You see, Paul here, as he's writing to the church at Philippi, he's imprisoned, he's in Rome, he's awaiting trial, and it may be the end for him. So he is in chains as he writes in these sort of inherently submissive circumstances. And he wants the Philippians to know that even though the circumstances in his writing uh, may seem grim, if they will submit to God's will, God will use it to advance the gospel. That's, that's the whole shooting match right there. And he hints at, at, at that from that word, servants. Paul chooses servant as his credential. Because the qualities of a faithful servant are the qualities the Philippians will need to continue growing in their faithfulness for the gospel. Let me say that again, note takers, if you're going to write that down. This is important for the whole flow of Philippians. Paul chooses servant as his credential at the beginning because the qualities of a faithful servant are the qualities the Philippians will need if they are continuing to grow as God calls them to grow. So he starts off in the first chapter by telling them to put the gospel first. That's what servants of Christ do. They put the gospel first. And he's going to point out four ways, three of which we'll get to, not that one, three of which we'll get to. And the first one that he talks about is to put the gospel first in their relationships by putting the fellowship of the gospel at the center of their relationships. We'll tell you more about that fellowship here in just a second. If you want to dive in at verse 3. Put the fellowship of the gospel at the center of your relationships with believers. He says this in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. You, don't, you didn't know that he was a southerner, but he was. Always in every prayer of mine for y'all. Making my prayer with joy, he says. Now, now, now Paul prayed with joy here because he loved the Philippian church. He planted this church. It was the first church he planted in Europe, probably A.D. 51 or 2. And here he is, writing 10 years later. He's imprisoned in Rome. And, and the reason he loved this church so much is because, remember the good news we talked about on the other side of the board there, the good news, the story of the victory over sin that we have for the person of Jesus in Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, that the story of the gospel took hold in the lives of the Philippians and it was growing. It was, like a, it was like a flame in their hearts and they were growing as a church. And so he loved that they responded appropriately to the good news. And so that's why he loved this church. That's why he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, verse 4, making my prayer with joy. And so he begins there by sort of gushing. And he gives thanks to God for them. But it's not just a generic thanks. It's a specific thanks for something that helps us get at this fellowship thing. Keep reading verse 5. He says, It's because 
of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Underline that phrase, because of your partnership in the gospel. Underline it, highlight it, circle it. It's super important. This togetherness here is is the the substance of how the gospel was the center for their relationships. This partnership between them shows that they were putting the gospel first. In other words, their very relationship with one another, Paul and the church, was centered around the truth of the gospel, of their fellowship in it. Now this word partnership that shows up here is the same word as this word fellowship. It's the same exact word that we translate fellowship in places all over Scripture. For us today, fellowship has become sort of this watered-down word in our vocabulary that's sort of akin to like, you know, donuts and coffee for an hour between services. We think of it sort of that way, but it's much more than that in Scripture. You see, when Paul was writing, the word fellowship was often used for commercial purposes. It was used to describe a financial partnership that would make a new business for a specific purpose. So when two people would invest in business together, they would form this fellowship, this this partnership here. They were personally invested in one another for a certain goal or purpose. Think Think about the relationship there. They were personally invested in this business together. So if the business succeeded, they celebrated together. If the, if the business struggled, they'd roll up their sleeves and they'd get at it. They'd get back to work together because it was a fellowship. They were both personally invested in it. So to put the gospel first in your relationship with other believers is to understand, and this is huge, is to understand that we are invested in mission together. That's the center of the relationship for those who have the gospel in them. We become self-sacrificing partners for the sake of the mission. If we really understand what the cross was all about and what he did for us, then we understand that that's how the story comes out through us with others in investment with one another. I don't know if you've ever seen something like this, but there have been a few times when I've seen sold-out missionaries who haven't seen each other for years. I don't know if you've ever witnessed something like this, but if you see sold-out missionaries who are good friends, who haven't seen each other for years, when they get together, it is a wonderful picture of this kind of partnership. It's really fun to watch. They laugh, they cry, they pray together. And sure, they talk about their kids, they talk about their families, they talk about the circumstances of their lives. But but if you listen closely, if you listen carefully to the content of their, 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 their speech and what they're talking about with one another, what you what you hear fellowship they are personally invested in the mission in a way which means their relationship is about that you can hear it and how they talk you can hear it and how they talk it's a wonderful picture of what this fellowship is like We see this gospel partnership in the next few verses here. Keep reading in verses 6 through 8. 
He says, I am sure of this. I am certain of this. That he who began a good work in you, you may want to underline that phrase. We'll come back to it in just a second. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now notice something interesting here. Earlier on, Paul calls God, God. Okay? <laughs> and there's something interesting uh, that, that he, he sort of puts some color to what he means thematically by the word God by changing the name God to a title here. He calls God, he who began a good work in you. It, it's a rhetorical device that sometimes people will use. It's just called a name change, nothing fancy to it. It's discourse analysis if the Bible nerds want to look it up. It's called a name change where he says, this God that I just described to you, I'm now calling the he, I'm calling him the he who began a good work in you. He says, I'm certain of this Philippians in whom the gospel first grew. I am certain that God, in other words, he who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion, that good work to completion in you. So Paul intentionally calls God, he who began a good work in you, because he's drawing attention to this theme that they need to continue growing in the gospel. They need to continue having the gospel at the center of their relationships with one another if they're going to continue to be fruitful for the cause of Christ. He's sort of saying here, buck up campers. I know that it's hard. Listen, I'm the one in prison. But it's going to be okay. God will continue to make this work that he's started in you happen if you'll remain faithful to him. Now listen, he's not just saying, suck it up. He's saying, I love you and this is going to continue to work for you. Just listen to the next few verses. Verses 7 and 8 here. He says, it is right for me, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. There's that gospel partnership again and that word partakers which just means like with fellowship. He, he's making a noun out of that. He's calling them with fellowshippers. Paul is saying, I love you because we share in this gospel mission. We share in this gospel advance no matter what. And the he who began a good work in you is going to take care of it. It'll be okay. That's what he's saying to them there. Again, verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Keep reading, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What lies at the center of his relationship with these Philippian believers is the gospel. So here's my question, friends. What ties us together? What ties us together? Is it sports? Is it the weather? The geography? If you want to know what ties us together, just begin to notice the things you talk about with other believers. What do we talk about when we meet? Is it merely, sure hope it doesn't keep raining? <laughs> How about those vols? I mean, it's like, is that the level that it stays at? Because if that's where it is, most of the time, is that a gospel partnership? Like, let's, let's commiserate about something 
that demonstrates that he who began a good work in you. Now, now listen, if we're in fellowship, we're sharing all parts of life. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's okay to talk about your kids, the weather, the vols. It's cool. That's all right. But listen, listen. If the gospel is at the center of our relationships, what do we talk about with one another? Let's talk about how the he who began a good work in you is working in you. The application question here is easy. It's this. What does what we talk about say? What does what we talk about say about the place of the gospel in our lives? And remember, we we said the gospel is the story of our victory over sin in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Is that the story? Is that the story of our speech with one another? Paul reminds us here in the first verses of Philippians that uh, the gospel fellowship is at the center of our relationships with other believers. The second area where the gospel must be the center for us in verses 9 to 11 is the priorities of our prayer life. Paul's going to demonstrate this for, for us here in just a second in verses 9 through 11. But he's modeling for us and for the Philippians to put the priorities of the gospel at the center of your prayer life. I mean, if, it, if the fellowship of the gospel is at the center of your relationships, then certainly we're going to pray for one another in a way that reflects the priorities of the gospel. Pick it up at verse 9 there in Philippians 1. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Not that your sickness will go away. Not that the government will pass laws you like. Not that your kids will stop you know, getting in trouble and that they'll get good grades. Not that other people will like you more and thus you will feel less stress about the people pressure in your life. Hashtag Freudian slip. Paul is putting the priorities of the gospel at the center of his prayer for the Philippians. Just, just read what he says there. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? For this reason, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent, so that the he who began a good work in you would, would continue to work in you with excellence that bears fruit. Excellent is just a way to say, you know, bearing fruit in a way that accords with God's character and nature, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. We don't earn this. Christ earns it for us. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. He earns it for us so that we have no reason to boast. Then he says this. This is the ultimate reason for it all at the end of verse 11. To the praise and the glory of God. Paul's praying. He wants the Philippians to be holy, to be blameless, to, to have their lives usher forth the character and nature of a perfect, holy, beautiful God of the universe who created them so that, so that they could know Him and so that He could work through them to make the advance of the gospel happen. And so he prays for them, I want you to know God better. The priorities of the gospel are what inform his prayers for them. He prays that God will continue to work through them. 
So listen, it's, it's okay to talk to God about anything and everything. Later on in Philippians, Paul will say, in all things, in all circumstances, present your requests to God. But listen, I, I don't know about you, but I get kind of sick of bunion prayers. I get kind of tired of bunion and pet prayers. Listen, God loves your pets. God cares about your bunions. But he cares about people's souls. And if, and if the vast majority of the things that we're asking for are to maintain for me an earthly comfort so that I will just grow at a, at a pace that feels comfortable for me, a little tiny step at a time that really functionally we say to ourselves, even though we aren't actually growing or we're preaching yet, we have to begin to pray prayers that are gospel-centered. Jesus, destroy me and break me so that you will work in me because your glory is more important than mine. How many prayers like that do we pray? Jesus, whatever the cost for me, I want to know you. Look at Philippians 3.10 and following. It's an awesome prayer. It's a good verse to memorize. The application question in basic form is this. What does what we pray about say about the place of the gospel in our lives? If the gospel is the story of our victory over sin given to us, earned for us by Jesus Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection, how does that inform how we pray? What does what we pray about say about the place of the gospel in our lives? Because I think a lot of us are praying prayers uh, that give evidence that the story of our lives that we're telling ourselves we're living in is one of, I just want to be comfortable. Jesus, break us of American Western comfort, please. Please radically destroy our pathetic goals. That's a prayer worth praying. That's a prayer where the gospel is at the center. Gospel fellowship must be the center of our relationships. Gospel priorities must be the center of our prayer lives. And third, and my favorite, the advance of the gospel must be at the center of our aspirations. The advance of the gospel must be at the center of our aspirations. Now we're going to jump in at verse 12 here in just a second. But I want to set up just a little bit of context before we do because it helps us understand what's going on here. The flow of Paul's argument here is, is genius. <laughs> Remember, at the beginning, he told us his credentials for writing this are that he's imprisoned, he's a slave, he's a servant. He's in dire circumstances at the time as he's writing this. And there were apparently some in Philippi who uh, kind of thought, Paul's crazy. I mean, here goes Paul again being off in jail. This wasn't the first time. This wasn't the second time. Paul always seems to be in jail. There were apparently some in Philippi who thought that he had sort of let down the team by getting himself arrested yet again. And by this point, it was well known 
uh, that Paul was crazy. Seriously. He traveled all over the world preaching in, a, in, in an environment that was hostile to the gospel. And so he was constantly in trouble. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten multiple times. He was imprisoned. He was always in trouble with the authorities. And so the, the Philippians are going, he's reckless for crying out loud. He's just unsafe. So you can sort of understand the reasoning of his detractors here. He's off in jail again. And who knows how this is going to turn out this time. He's been lucky up to this point. But he's going to give Christianity a bad name if he keeps going to jail all the time. I mean, wiser and cooler heads would prevail if I were in charge. You can kind of hear the thought process of Paul's detractors. There's a better way to spread the gospel, Paul. I mean, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. To them, Paul says, no regrets. Bring it on. Whatever. I mean, whatever sounds like I'm just being silly and colloquial, but he functionally says whatever later on in verse 18. Keep following through this here in verse 12. To those who are detractors of Paul saying, you're letting down the team, Paul, he says this, I want you to know, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is what Paul really cares about here. Not his comfort, but the advance of the gospel. The forward movement of the mission. And then he gives two defenses. He presents two sort of uh, arguments in defense of his crazy assessment of the situation. They're sitting there going, uh, yeah, you're crazy. He goes, I'm crazy. But that's a good thing. Let me tell you why. Two reasons, he says. Number one, verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The very soldiers guarding him while he was in prison become a vehicle for the advance of the gospel. They become a vehicle to testify to Paul's story. You think, you know, maybe once or twice, crazy man like Paul proclaiming the gospel in a hostile environment wants to tell the guards around him, the Roman imperial guards, he wants to, wants to say, hey, listen, you would not believe the kind of things I've been through where God has brought me through to get to this point. And listen, I'm glad for it. And so a soldier goes away and goes, Did, have you heard this crazy guy? He's been through shipwrecks. He's been beaten. This is his third, fourth, fifth time being jailed. And yet he's a happy guy who's glad to be in these circumstances. He says God did this for him. I think he's crazy. But if it's true, it's a miracle. That's the first thing. Second thing, verse 14. He says, as a result of this, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Listen, friends, God uses the circumstances of our lives to do his work, the he who began a good work of us, in us. He uses the circumstances of our lives to do his work if we have the advance of the gospel at the center of our priorities. So think about this. Two reasons he's given for why his circumstances are actually good, though they look on the face of it like they're bad. Number one, the Roman Imperial Guard has heard about the gospel 
Number two, believers are preaching the word. Which is to say, number one, non-believers hear the gospel more. Number two, believers preach the gospel more. Think about how radically these two results for how we count our circumstances would change what we think about our circumstances. We would say with Paul, whatever happens to me, Lord, if number one, non-believers preach the gospel more, and number two, believers preach the gospel more, then bring it on. That's what Paul's saying here. Listen, if we had that kind of perspective on the circumstances of our lives, we would, we would see more fruit. We would know more joy. We would be more aware of the fact that the He who began a good work in you is working in you. Now listen, I, I don't say this like it's easy, friends. <laughs> this isn't easy. When Paul's imprisoned. He's been beaten many times. He's been shipwrecked. He's been accused. He's been spat on. There have been attempts to stone him to death. I mean, this is a guy who's been through it. And he's not saying to the Philippians, eh, it's nothing. This is a real struggle. And, and, and it's not just a struggle in ways that, like Paul, mean, hey, you may be in jail tomorrow. Are you going to use that as an opportunity, though the circumstances look grim, to preach the gospel? If that's the case, I hope you do. But this is something that is a rubber meets the road issue for all of us in lots of circumstances in our lives. This is a real struggle for me. Uh, early on in ministry, I prayed a dangerous prayer that was in basic terms, Lord, use local church leadership uh, to break me and to continue to shape me into your image. And he is doing so. As I continue to, to open myself to that and as he continues to shape me through that. But listen, I, I struggle with that. I mean, like I have, and I've shared some of this with you in the past, I have a real struggle with getting really down about my own weaknesses. Like, listen, I have a PhD in telling the story of my life from a place of defeat. I really do. I'm quite good at it. A few of my close friends and I have a joke about me, actually, um, that I'm about to share with you. So you're going to be in on the inside joke about uh, the extent to which I struggle with this. Uh, we're going to come up with a t-shirt about how I feel. Some of you are already laughing because you're like, you're a dork, Scott, that you're going to share this, but oh well. I have a, a, a saying that sort of typifies how I tell the story of my life sometimes that kind of talks about this struggle. And so we're going to get a t-shirt from me someday that says this. Scott Wakefield, disappointing people since 1973. What can I do for you today? None of you, please show up with that T-shirt next week. I know it sounds funny, but it's often how I actually feel about the circumstances of my life. I mean, I, a lot of times I look at the circumstances of my life and I go, I can't even begin to see the God who began the good work in me. I can't even begin to see it. I get just so down about so many things going on in my life. I, like, I just can't get anything right in my life. All these circumstances 
from day after day. All I see is weakness and ineffectiveness. So I, so I easily tell the story of my circumstances as a story of defeat. Paul could have done that. Paul could have done that about his circumstances in jail right then. But he didn't. I know that I, know that I sort of imprison myself when I do that. I tell the story of my life as a, as a story of defeat. Comma, comma. But God, two great words in Scripture. Do a study of the words, but God. But God wants to write the story of our lives in a way like Paul demonstrates, in a way that Paul models for the Philippians. Paul wants to write my story, and he wants to write your story differently. He wants us to have the story of our lives to be a story about the advance of the gospel so that whatever happens, whatever the circumstances, whatever is going on, if we can, like Paul, say, number one, non-believers hear the gospel preached. And number two, believers are emboldened to preach the gospel. If we can look at the circumstances of our lives and count it like that, then we can say with Paul, whatever happens, Christ is preached. Hey, he who began a good work in you, hey, he who began a good work in me, whatever you want to do to use me for the advance of your purpose in the world, bring it on. That's what Paul's saying. He says, whatever, whatever. And I'm not making that up. That's kind of a rough translation of where we're headed here. Starting at verse 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. This isn't a false teacher kind of thing. He's just saying that different people preach from different uh, sort of reasons and motivations, some of which are about the gospel and some of which are not about God's glory. He says, He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. I'm sorry, the former, the former, the first ones, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, those from envy and rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And then he says this, whatever, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. The point is that when we view our circumstances and how we measure the success or not of our lives, when it's through the filter of, like Paul says, non-believers hear the gospel, believers preach the gospel, whatever happens in our lives, if we can measure our lives that way like Paul, then we will have a relationship with the He who began a good work in you in a way that will demonstrate to us His continued work Paul says, Paul says, if you just continue to give yourself to that, you'll see him work in you. Listen, when we, we put the gospel first in our relationships, in our prayer life, in our aspirations for our life and how we measure our circumstances, we are saying yes to the God who began a good work in us. We're saying yes to the God who wants to write the story of victory over sin 
of your victory over sin in the person of Jesus. That's how He calls us to tell our story. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we confess to you that we look at the circumstances of our lives and we look at uh, the world around us and it's easy to it's easy to see defeat it's easy to uh, perceive ourselves as weak and as failures and the truth of it Lord is we are Not a one of us is able to come infinitely close to achieving the perfection that you would count as righteous. And so we come before you humbly, submitting ourselves as servants, asking that uh, this work that you began in us, this work of giving us a victory over sin, in the life and the death and the resurrection of your Son, that this work would continue to grow in us, to be made known in us. Help us to develop, Lord, in our relationships a gospel center. In our prayer lives, gospel priorities. And in our aspirations for ourselves, gospel advance. So that we would increasingly grow into the men and women you created us to be, who would have a greater knowledge of who you are, who would understand with greater wisdom all of the ways that you are working in us. So that we could, like those who have come before, like Paul in circumstances that are dire that we would that we would rejoice that you've given us that you've given us a victory over sin that otherwise we wouldn't know we love you for that truth Lord we give ourselves more fully to you today because of that truth Lord and ask that you would continue to shape in our lives in our marriages in our homes in this congregation at camp that you would continue to shape in the context of these relationships a place a context where you would grow in us so that you would be made known Lord because you alone are worthy you alone are worthy we thank you for making us a part of that amazing story Lord in the name of your son Jesus we pray amen